Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Welcome to Girl on the Gov the Podcast where our goal is to make politics more accessible and less intimidating. The show features an interview with an expert in the political field, walking us through the many cues we have about politics, civics, government, and more. By providing civic education in the places we are, on our phones, and in the language we speak. And yes, we know, we say like a lot. It's kind of the point, because politics needed a rebrand. Welcome back to Girl in the Gov, the podcast. Happy Wednesday. We have a very exciting episode for y'all today mm. with my mayor. So excited. So excited. One thing I do have an update on is that I'm I'm currently fasting. Ma'am? And I'm just, I'm on day Why? one. <laughs> Wait, is this like, what's the reasoning behind this? Have you heard of Prolon? No. Oh, it's like. A cleanse, basically, but it's a fast. It's like a structured, scheduled, routine fast that it like comes in a box, and there's like these powdered soups that you have to eat, and it's just you like don't a even very. Like soup. I sure don't. I sure don't. So I've done it once before, and it was literally hell on earth. I'm hoping this round is a little more doable, but just mm-hmm. wanted to give that update because this week. Might be rough for me. I'm on day one, so I'm okay right now, but it'll only get harder. Oh, good. Okay. So no one piss either of us off because hellfire is coming for y'all. What's like the purpose of the cleanse? Like, is there a specific? Yeah, there's actually an episode of Goop on Netflix on it, if anyone's curious, but it's actually supposed to reverse your metabolic age. So like we have an internal age, depending on like literally how your organs are functioning, your metabolism, everything. And if you are unhealthy, like your age, you can actually test it and your age can come back like much older than you actually are, which is obviously not good. So that's like one of the main things it does is it helps kind of like detox and cleanse your body to kind of reverse your metabolic aging a little bit. And it's also helps you lose weight. It's like a good Kickstarter if you're looking to like go on your health kick. So yeah, I... I hate I hate it, but here I am, second time. My sister's done it like 10 times. She's insane. I ate half a pecan pie for lunch, so. <laughs> oh, my God. I was just spat my water out. That's and it was incredible. Great. No, I'm so was, jealous. I'm so sorry to tell you this in your time of need, but... It just it was speaking to me. It was on, it was in my kitchen and it looked yeah. path of least resistance. And when I mean path of least resistance, I didn't have to cook it. I have to do anything. I just took a fork and I forked it. No, it sounds really it. incredible. It sounds um, really great. 
I'm but wow. Okay. So this is a cleanse. I didn't, I never had you pegged as a, a cleanse girly. I'm really not. I mean, I've done it once and again, it sucked. I wish you luck on this journey. Yeah. That's really where I'm at on that one. I'm, I'm trying to think of like words of encouragement, but I can only think of foods to tell you about. And that's, oh yeah. Don't do that. That's the thing too. I'm like on Instagram. It's so dangerous because my entire explore page, if I ever like, which I never scroll on my explore page, but sometimes like I accidentally click into it. And then there's just all these, like mine is just filled with food. Like it's like baking recipes, cooking recipes, just everything looks so good. I remember that being really hard. I'm doing this is if you ever like are scrolling and come across like an incredible booking recipe or something. It's mm. just absolute torture. That's torture. Very, actually, wait, speaking of explore page, I have actually, I, through my, my scrolling, my liking, whatever, have made my explore page just like a really like light and happy and cute place. Like Mediterranean trips. It's yeah. beautifully designed cakes. It's fashion. It's like and it's puppy videos, baby cow videos, mm-hmm. baby cat videos, baby sheep videos. Yeah, mine is like all cooking recipes and videos and animals. It so is such a animals. lovely place. That is, hey, we'll give it to Zuck on this one. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> totally, totally. Speaking of social media and Zuck, top stories yesterday. Oh. We mm-hmm. absolutely ranted hard on the TikTok hearings from last week. If you guys haven't listened to Top Stories yet, go listen. That was story number two. Obviously, story number one, we cover the tragedy and machining that happened in Nashville, Tennessee yesterday. And then we also talk about the insanely heinous Trump rally in Waco, Texas. I saw that clip. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I died. I also didn't know he like fully recorded... It on, it's on Spotify, that song. Oh, no, I know. Oh, my God. What? I, I didn't know that it part of it. was trending at one point on Apple Music. So he's like... that's still the case, but it was. Trump is now becoming a record exec and is building a band from... Like he loves a failed business. However, this one might ironically be his most successful. It's so bad, it's good. Which I kind of feel like is a philosophy for him. No. You know, it's the car crash you go- can't, you know, look away from. Yeah, so... We're referencing at his Waco, Texas rally from this weekend. He had his new song on Spotify playing, which is basically like the Pledge of Allegiance mixed with like the national anthem mixed with every American song that's ever been made, performed by a choir that is comprised of January 6th insurrectionists who have been arrested for their crimes from January 6th. And it's called Justice for All. And it is heinous beyond heinous. I would say go listen on Spotify, but like, I don't even want to give them the listens. That's the but problem. Go, go watch our TikTok mm, where smart. we're reacting to it. And then I put the video, the clip of him at his rally, hand over heart, blasting this new song. So go listen. It's pretty fucking entertaining. And like we said yesterday in Top Stories, like, honestly low-key genius for his brand but then Wait, can you finally- imagine him in the recording studio like he's like he's got the headphones on he's like pledge of allegiance, pledge of allegiance. like obviously that's not how the song goes he did get to edm it's more like you know dystopian um, music but he's like- gonna remix it though 
to an EDM song, I would definitely <laughs> need that to happen immediately. Immediately. That um, would be hilarious. Fourth story hmm. was about Ronnie D, Trump's arch nemesis rival right now, and where he's at in his potential presidential run. So go listen to Top Stories if you haven't um, listened yet. Did you see what I called it in our little write-up today? No. I said not to get it confused with Polly D. Mm, yes, which we mm-hmm. did get it confused. It's fine. Yes, we literally like mashed ourselves. two people up and we're like, there they are. Also, if you received a Top Stories is Live Today newsletter, we sent the wrong one. <laughs> the wrong ones for people. My um, blender. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I hey, the message got across. Which you almost died. Go, it's fine. Go listen to Top Stories. The message got across and that's really all that matters yeah, at the end of the day. But nonetheless, go listen. She's fresh. She's ready for you and she's waiting. But I don't know, unless there's anything else to be said. Oh, there is. And it's more like uh, it's a call for, not a call for questions, a call for advice. Okay. Very random, not political. So, you know, if you want to get right into the politics, keep moving. But this is for my natural blonde girlies. Has anyone had an issue? Also, this is my new unpaid assistant, which is my pen, which is keeping my ADHD in track right now. <laughs> but has anyone had their hair start turning orange randomly? Like, I've never dyed my hair. Subtle flex. However, <laughs> it's literally turning orange to the point that, like, people this week, I'm really like, here's your hair, like, a little orange. And I was like, that's weird. And first, our theory which was Maddie's theory, was that maybe it was my self-tanner. However, it started getting orangey at the roots, like the top, like it wasn't, and I'm not self-tannering my skull. So then that left me questioning. And then I looked it up and it's either water or shampoo. And I'm just curious if like anyone else has had this issue and what the cause has been, because I don't know, I can't change the water coming out of my shower really. Like what, like, hmm. I don't know. I still am kind of convinced the tanner has something to do with it, potentially. I don't know. I mean, maybe there is. I don't know. I've never heard that water thing. Obviously, I'm not blonde. But my roommate has had in the roots area. Oh, in the roots too. Some orange because she tans every weekend. But I think maybe what could happen is like when you're getting up here by your forehead, like it can get into your hair a little bit. And then maybe like when you shower or wash like and you're kind of pushing that. it into it. Yeah. You know? Maybe. Well, it's definitely sliding into Sam's DMs if you have any suggestions. Please. But with that said and with that PSA out there, I feel as though we can introduce our guest for the day. Oh, we can absolutely introduce our guest. Our guest is mayor of San Francisco, London Reed. As Maddie said before, this is her mayor. Like literally... We love to see it, keeping it in the backyard. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So in this conversation, we got to talk about the homelessness crisis specific to San Francisco, her approach to it, and also so much of the red tape that has prevented progress. She walks us through some of those elements of this whole conversation that oftentimes are left out of the media and just really interesting to know about. And I think really relate to other policy solution areas with regards to San Francisco. So Lots, lots of things happening in this conversation, but if you are curious about 
the homelessness crisis in SF, in California, and generally across the U.S., this episode is definitely going to be one that you listen to over and over again. Send it to all of your friends in California. Send it to all your friends in the Bay Area. Maddie's already at church. You're doing that with her friends. So, you know, like, copy Maddie. You know, it's got to, there you go. Yeah, but it really is becoming such an issue in big cities across the country as well. I remember we had Chris Hansen on Keeping Up with the Candidates. You know, he talked about how that's becoming a major issue in their downtown in Denver. So it's just really becoming an issue everywhere. I think a lot of people can relate to feeling the effects of it. Hopefully a very informative episode for, for everyone listening. Amen to that. So anyways, without further ado, here's Mayor London Bree. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right. Well, we are so excited to have the mayor of San Francisco on the podcast this week. It is truly an honor. And Maddie, aka the brunette on the show, is a San Francisco <laughs> resident. So yes. talk about the perfect collabing of worlds. Very but- excited. Exactly. Exactly. We're excited. We're excited to have you on the show. And to get into things, we have to start with what's a day in the life for the mayor of San Francisco? What does that look like? <laughs> and I, I have a feeling it's going to be, it's different every day type of answer, but we got to get, get into it. Well, it is different every day. And depending on how early I start, sometimes I can get in a workout on my Peloton and, you know, get my day started reading all my materials. And then I'm on phone calls, meetings, from starting pretty much from 8 a.m. until throughout the day. But in between, there are sometimes press conferences. There are sometimes events in the community. Today, I have the Cardinal visiting from the Vatican, which is amazing. And just the day before yesterday, the President of Finland came to San Francisco. So there was a big breakfast with the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. And there are just all those kinds of events, a big press conference in the Tenderloin community to deal with public safety, a ribbon cutting for a grand opening, meeting with department heads, going to everybody's event throughout the evening hours, and dealing with what we are about to experience, a big storm, and making sure we have our sandbags and all the things that we need. So it's a lot of different layers of responsibility, which means that time is going by so fast and it's never a dull moment. Yeah. Wait, question. Do you have a favorite type of event? Mm. I think my favorite type of event probably is the events where I go to for the brand new opening of housing in particular, because not only do I get to meet the people, but I get to hear their stories. How did they come to be? How did they end up in the housing that we've been able to provide the affordable housing or housing that helps to house people who were previously homeless. And one of the best things about that, one recent project, we just opened up 256 units for people who were formerly homeless, who came out of our shelter in place system. And many of those people I grew up with, I knew them and I hadn't seen them in years. So it was so good to see them clean, to see them sober, to see them housed. 
and just to hear what's been happening in their lives and just the tears and, and the joy that came with those moments. Those are like the best events. Just knowing that the work that we are doing is truly impacting people's lives, especially people that I grew up with. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Especially that personal, personal part of it. It's got to be make it even more fulfilling to do that work. And we're going to get into that more of the kind of work you guys are doing. But to start, we really do want to kind of run it back and hear a little bit about your political journey and how it really kicked off and how you got here to mayor of San Francisco. Well, I when I was growing up in San Francisco in public housing, my grandmother was raising me and two of my brothers. I, two, I have two brothers. I have three sisters. And she raised me and two of my brothers and the two of my brothers. And she was really tough, really hardcore. But we were also very poor. And the norm was, you know, there were other grandmothers raising their grandkids. There was violence. There was drugs. There was hopelessness. There was frustration. There was just a number of things that when you grow up, you think that that's normal. And the joy that I got in life oftentimes was to just go across the street to Hayward Playground and play with other kids. And that really made things okay. But the thing about my grandmother, she had a really strong work ethic. And for her, it was, you get up, you go to school, you do chores. And she was very strict in that way. And my upbringing was just do the right thing, get your education, and try to be able to not only take care of yourself, but take care of your community. And one of the things that I was really fortunate enough to do is go to college, which didn't happen in my family and didn't happen in my community. And went to college, graduated, but came back to the community to really be you know, an advocate for change, pushing to get people registered to vote, pushing for services. I just thought that what I would do my whole life is push and fight for the community and then an opportunity presented itself to run for the Board of Supervisors because I was not really a big fan of the person who was in the seat. <laughs> and Classic. It, it, it had a lot to do with, you know, the violence in my community, the number of people who were being killed. I mean, I knew both the perpetrators and the victims and the families. And I just saw our community completely destroyed. And it was so heartbreaking. And to have someone who did understand that and the need to provide the kinds of resources that are going to help deal with it in a very, you know, creative way was why I stepped up and I ran and I was shocked when I won. <laughs> so it was amazing. But what I've been able to do, which I'm very proud of, is bring community together, invest resources in certain kinds of programs that were, you know, not necessarily like the kinds of programs the city would support but were necessary in order to help curb some of the violence in the neighborhood and provide people with real opportunities for changes in their lives. I mean, just something as simple as trying to getting someone who's respected in the community. So for example, when someone is killed, it's like, we have to, I mean, the, the police may not always be able to make an immediate arrest, but how do we make sure that someone who knows that family gets to that family to try and deal with helping to prevent retaliation so that someone else doesn't die as a result of, of the escalation from right. you, you know, you did this to my family member. And so yeah. that's the street crisis response team was born out of a lot of the work we did in the community to stop the retaliation from a number of the homicides that occurred. And that was not something that people were, many people thought about. I mean, just imagine the courage of an individual to go and talk to someone who just committed murder to try and get that person to understand that 
of course, what they did was wrong. Of course, we want them to turn themselves in. But at the same time, we don't want them to harm anyone else. And we don't want anyone else on the other side to harm them either. So a lot of the work I did as a community member, but as a supervisor was really pushing and advocating for change. And some of you, you might remember the mayor, previous mayor passed away in office at a time when I was the president of the board of supervisors. So I became at acting mayor and then I was removed and then I ran and I won and here I am. It, it, it just. Long it, journey. Yeah, it, it was a, it was, it, it has a lot of stuff in between. I know we don't have all the time in the world to yeah. discuss it, but I will say I still can't believe that I am on the, I, I'm, I'm running the city. I'm the mayor of San Francisco and I'm so honored and proud to serve in this role after coming up in the city through humble beginnings. And so it's very meaningful. And I'm looking forward to continuing to take care of the city and, and push for positive change. Yeah, amazing. Well, we also super care, especially me, because I live here. What's your favorite part of San Francisco? Nice. What's my favorite part? <laughs> yeah. I want to say probably the restaurants. I love, I love food. I love eating good food. I me love too going to different places, discovering new places and the ambiance. I am a creature of habit to a certain extent because I go to some of the same restaurants over and over again. I still order from the same Chinese food place in, in the neighborhood that I've been ordering from since I was a teen. And it's, it's, it's just San Francisco so special because you will stumble on some, you know, restaurant that might be a hole in a wall and be the best sandwich you ever ate in your life. And so mm -hmm. my favorite part is the food is always so good, no matter where you go, no matter what the neighborhood is. And that's something very unique and special to San Francisco, I think, because I've traveled to other places and even some of the recommended restaurants are not that great. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, why is that actually such a thing though? It's always the recommendations that are so blah and yeah. the hole in the walls that are amazing. Like the simpler it is, the harder it is to find absolutely 10 times better than anything else. Oh, True. definitely. Definitely. And I could tell you, I could give you a long list of places that you probably, Maddie, that you probably never even went to in San Francisco. I would absolutely love. I feel like I'm always wanting to try a new spot. And then I, when I go to make the move, I'm like, what's the like list of things I knew I wanted to go try, but I just, when it's time, I always forget. So anytime there's a wreck, I'm always all yours. So let me just say, <laughs> you cannot go into the place the Chinese food place that I recommend. You can't go inside. Only you can only order you because I don't want you to see what it looks like. <laughs> okay, okay. So Wait, what's never it called? Go by, never go by this spot. Okay. Only order on only order on online or or call the number and they'll deliver. But you never eat in there. That's just one of the rules. Okay, what's it called? I have to order oh, it now. They had a fire, so they changed it. It, it was called King Lee's. Now it's called the New King Lee's. The new King Lee's. I'm literally writing it down. It's amazing. 415-563-444. What is the number? Anyway, the new King Lee's. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. You know the number. That's amazing. Obsessed. Absolutely obsessed. Also find me on a flight going out there to try it. So that's going to happen. <laughs> but nonetheless, we have to move into kind of a darker topic, to be honest. And it's one that has been really a part of the conversation in California for a while, San Francisco for a while, but honestly has become something across the country that we've been chatting about. And that is homelessness. It's just become such a crisis in this country. And obviously you as mayor have such a 
you know, light or such a, you know, visual into what this looks like at the city level. And to start things off, you know, curious what your stance is on the homelessness crisis right now and, you know, where you think it might go. Yeah. Well, I got to say, you know, growing up in San Francisco, there was always some level of homelessness. And, you know, in the projects I lived in, there were a lot of people who were able to somehow get a hold of some of the empty, you know, units and be able to live. So you didn't see people on the street, but there were homeless people in different capacities. There was always a creative way to get a place to have a roof over your head in order to at least survive. And I think that's changed a lot in San Francisco because it has gotten increasingly expensive and we have not built housing as aggressively as we should. And finally, you know, the stark difference between those who live in poverty and are barely able to make ends meet and those who are wealthy. And I think there's just a lot of different layers to that. And it's it's been hard. It's been frustrating. I mean, even some of our affordable housing units are really costly. You know, you you think, okay, here's an affordable unit. It's $2,000 a month. But it's like even the folks who make the qualifying levels, they're like, how do I afford after taxes $2,000 a month? And so, you know, I think over time we've made rules and regulations so much more complicated. We've made it more, a lot harder to build and and build affordable build housing in general, but build affordable housing and the costs are really high. And for me, what I am trying to do is be very aggressive about getting more housing built, because I think that's really a part of the root causes of the challenges around homelessness. And the second part of that is homelessness in in more recent years, isn't just about someone in need of a roof over their head. It's also people who struggle with mental illness and substance use disorder and who are very, very, very difficult to to not only get housed, but to keep housed. And so it's just become more expensive to provide a lot of wraparound services and support. But my overall view is we have to meet people where they are. There is a reason why we have so many people on the streets and it's not one size fits all and it's not one reason. It's, you know, some of the people that I've kind of personally case managed over the years, one schizophrenic who, you know, used to work and was hit in the head and 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 developed a drug problem and really sweet guy, but real problems, real issues. And we were able to get him housed, but he would not even stay in the unit. Another young woman, same situation where she grew up mentally challenged. She was born with, you know, some some issues where she couldn't completely take care of herself. So she had a, a bit of a support system, but somehow got addicted to fentanyl. And even though Golden Gate Regional, which is one of our programs that help people who are mentally challenged, they cover her expenses. They cover her rent through her the government assistance she gets, but she's never even at her unit. And her mom is so, she's struggling to help her. One of her sisters found her in a tent. And it's just, there's a lot of different kinds of stories like that where people want to help their family members, but because of one's, you know, mental illness or substance use disorder, they are struggling to get them the help and the support that they need. So homelessness has become increasingly challenging, especially with the introduction of fentanyl, which has killed more people uh, in overdose deaths in this city than during the height of a global pandemic. And what that means is 
we need to treat it like it's an, uh, an emergency, which you, you may recall, I declared a state of emergency around overdose deaths related to fentanyl in order to open the floodgates, to provide the resources, to be more intentional and aggressive about helping to deal with this challenge. And it has truly been an uphill battle. We've seen the number of overdose deaths decline but that doesn't mean people are not still addicted to fentanyl and other opioids in our city. And it continues to be a struggle. Yeah. Well, that makes me wonder too, just especially talking around the state of emergencies and everything. We saw a newly elected Mayor Bass in LA put a state of emergency on homelessness in in Los Angeles. Have Have you done that here? And if so, if not, why Can you also kind of explain what really a state of emergency, whether it's homelessness or overdose, like you said, what does that really look like? Like what, what, what goes behind that? Well, I think it's, you know, there are different definitions. Karen Bass, the mayor of Los Angeles has a completely different definition for a state of emergencies than in San Francisco. In Los Angeles, the term local emergency means any occurrence, which by reason of its magnitude is or is likely to become beyond the control of normal services, personnel and equipment and facilities. So it's a little bit different. And with San Francisco, the charter doesn't define the term emergency, but the city attorney has advised us for many years that a declaration of emergency must be based on a sudden and unexpected necessity you know, and so it's, it's kind of different. Yeah. Um, I like her definition better. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. I run with that on a lot of different instances because it's more localized and it's, it's a lot better to work within. Yeah. So, because it was very difficult when, you know, for, when I declared a state of emergency for the COVID pandemic, it was, you know, not even a question and it was right. possible and it was a lot easier to do. When I tried to do a state of emergency for overdose death because of I, I was able to take the data to show that this is completely out of control and did the comparison with COVID deaths. And even that was a bit of a stretch as it relates wow. to San Francisco's definition, because what these things do is they allow us to go around, like people talk about, oh, Mayor, you did such a great job during the COVID pandemic. You, you know, saved lives, you move things forward. Yeah, because we got rid of all the layers of city of bureaucracy to do the job, to okay. get it done. We moved all the, you know, competitive bid requirements and the contracting requirements and all these things that take forever to even sign a lease for a property that could help. So instead, during the state of emergency for overdose deaths in San Francisco, we were able to waive a number of those requirements to not only get a facility up and running, but to contract with a number of nonprofits that we were working with to help support the facility and to increase our and and waive a lot of our hiring restrictions to get people into these places to staff up quickly. And and so all this has to do with when you declare a state of emergency is the ability to do things faster. To yeah, do that's really interesting. In a way that actually gets something done because otherwise people are like, why is it taking so long? Why does it take so long to do anything, to build a home? 10 years it took for this property that I was just talking about, a free parking lot from the federal government that we worked to obtain, resources available from the time we identified everything to the time the first person moved in 10 years. Crazy. So wild. Plus the time, like a whole decade, the way that things could shift within that building being built itself. 
Yes. And what that actual and you know what it was built to address, that entire problem could have shifted and changed and gone through an evolution by the time you actually got to opening day. Definitely. Yeah. And and that's exactly the point. And what I am trying to do, I'm I'm making it my mission to because these aren't the things that you like campaign as a politician on, right? You don't say right. we're gonna get rid of bureaucracy, we're gonna <laughs> the time of building housing and ha- I mean you could say those things, but it's like, okay, but then when you get into the nitty-gritty, the rezoning of this neighborhood will lead to XYZ. It's like, okay, but what does that mean for me in terms of being able to afford to live in San Francisco? So it's it's pretty it's it's it is I, I I'm like digging and digging and digging constantly in in this you know, layered bureaucratic process that make things virtually impossible to do. But then at the end of the day, the public, they don't want to hear excuses. They want to change. They don't want to hear, oh, you're having problems here. You're having problems. They, they're like, well, fix it, mayor. We don't know what all this stuff is and we don't care. No, we don't like, and we want you to fix it. Yeah. So a state of emergency, like would be something like a status you would actually want to be in and to address this issue of homelessness, but there's just so much red tape that, you know, it's not something you can implement at this time. Well, you know, exactly. But, but I will say during the state of emergency for COVID, you know, we saw a reduction in the number of our shelter beds decline significantly. Like we went from, you know, almost 3000 shelter beds in San Francisco to 70% of that was completely gone because of the congregate living situation. But with the state of emergency, what we were able to do is we were able to immediately rent hotel rooms to set up trailers and to set up tiny homes and a couple of other very creative things without going through a lengthy process. So even though we lost that capacity, we built it up very quickly during the pandemic to over the amount of units that we actually needed to not only replace the lost shelter beds, but we were able to increase that number because we had a declaration of emergency. And part of it was, you know, we we had to go from congregate living to allowing people to isolate, right? So it can be creative in how you use it and how you move things forward. But in the meantime, it doesn't mean that we're not still moving forward on solutions around homelessness. I mean, San Francisco saw a 15% reduction in unsheltered homelessness during our last point in time count. And we saw an overall reduction in homelessness by 3.5% while other counties saw increases. So I think some of the things that we've been able to do to house people and to keep them housed, because that's the whole nother story, but to get them in and to not let them go back to the streets that is really what has, I think, made the difference. And it is a lot of money. It's, you know, very layered and it's bureaucratic stuff. But more importantly, it's it's really hard to do because it's not a one size fits all. Totally. Well, I think that's the perfect segue into our next question, which is about Senate Bill 43 and conservatorship. It's a creative solution. It's one that I'm sure the Free Britney movement is like, what in the world is this? What is another conservatorship situation doing? But in terms of the in, in the context of homelessness, what is this bill? What is the idea behind it? And, you know, what do you hope to see, you know, with it? Yeah. And I think I, I, I know that, you know, like I was a free Britney person myself, but I think her situation was a lot different and kind different. of didn't give 
the best understanding of what's actually happening with the system and 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 what's happening with people that are struggling with a number of you know serious challenges including those who are schizophrenic people who suffer from dementia those who are bipolar and can't get help or treatment and so part of what this conservatorship bill would do is modernize the definition of gravely disabled to include substance use disorder as a prequalifier because what's happening with a lot of the new drugs, the psychosis that's developing as a, as, a, as a result of the use of the drug, oftentimes isn't reversible. And people develop these serious issues. That's why people are like, why all of a sudden are people behaving the way they're behaving or attacking and not knowing what's going on and don't know what they're doing? I mean, th this, this is you know documented in a lot of the health studies, including at UCSF, where they're also working on, on these kinds of issues is it's these, the mental illness that develops from the use of drugs is very, you know, complicated and sometimes not reversible. So we need to update the definition for that. It also will provide better care to those who are vulnerable by requiring that a patient's impaired decision-making be considered by the, so in meeting with judges, having the conversations, you know, they stick to the letter of the law, but we need to also give them some flexibility. And it's the goal is also to reduce the inefficiencies that currently drain our doctors' times by requiring them to to respond in person. You know, no, now what they would have to do is they would have to show up to court and say, you know, this is what we need to do. Well, you know, doctors and other folks who diagnose people sometimes are not always available to show up in court. And so we're saying, can they provide a written analysis that can be used in court? And so that's part of the change. So the goal is to evolve with the times. We haven't made any changes to these laws in at least 50 years. And things have changed in terms of the challenge. We understand things differently than we did 50 years ago. We diagnose people differently than in the past. In the past, it's put somebody in a mental health institution and be done with them. They're crazy and so on and so forth. But it's like, no, these are complex issues and there's a reason. And we're able to get a better diagnosis. We're able to figure out the right course of treatment. In some cases, we're able to get people on the right path. But the fact is, there are people in this society who need people, even though they're adults, they need grownups and other folks to make decisions for them as if, you know, the same way in which we make decisions sometimes for young people, for kids, they need to be cared for. My aunt was one of those people. She was born with brain damage. She could never, you know, really make decisions for herself. And my grandmother was her guardian. And so she always had to have a guardian, someone responsible for her. And then when my grandmother got dementia, it became really frustrating, really complicated. And all of a sudden my aunt was cashing her own checks, spending all her money on lottery tickets. And then before you know it, her rent hadn't been paid in, in, in a while and she was potentially gonna be evicted. Luckily she had us, luckily we were able to come together, rally, you know, get Golden Gate Regional and others to help her. And, and get her on the right path so that she wasn't out on the streets. And so, you know, it's it's a very complicated thing, but it's in need of change. And it's not, again, a one size fits all. Totally. Yeah, I think that idea of conservatorship, I think I learned about from the free Britney movement, but similar to you, I think I realized it's like, okay, obviously Britney needs something different. This isn't fair yeah. for her, but it actually kind of woke me up in living in San Francisco and kind of seeing what we see here, that there are a lot of people who do need that and who do need that guardianship because, you know, even if 
you know, you, you don't have those mental illnesses or you don't have those struggles. Living on the street is dangerous and unsafe and not healthy. And so imagine if you also on top of that can't take care of yourself. That's just somebody needs to be able to step in and give those resources and ensure that that those resources are pr- provided. But can you kind of also just quickly explain how this actually then translates to helping the homelessness crisis, whether that's like keeping people, you know, in shelters or how that really would work in solving this problem too. So here's the thing in San Francisco, we have almost 8,000 people who are homeless, even though we've seen a decline, it's finally finally fell below the 8,000 mark. And of those 8,000, almost 8,000 people, close to 4,000 of those people are diagnosed with substance use disorder, mental illness, and chronic homelessness. So we have, they fit into this category of, you know, possibly, you know, needing someone to facilitate and, and, and take care of them in some capacity. And, and there are a number of issues that come with that. I think what this law does is allow us to make the recommendations uh, because many of these people in, in some form or another have been 5150 when they have been brought into the system under a crisis, a 72 hour hold is a 5150 where it's like this person has a psychological break and they, they're, you know, basically harm to they potential harm to themselves or potential harm to other people. We're going to have them on the 72 hour hold. And then an evaluation done is to, to understand the person's issue or whether or not this is not the first time and how we make a recommendation of what we need to do to proceed. And with this changes to law, with this change in law, what it will allow us to do with this population is have a tool to send them through a process in order to conserve them. And that would mean that someone within the county would be responsible for making a decision. And also it would require us as a city to provide them with a bed. So for example, we have behavioral health beds. Most of them, you know, you have to say that I'm willing to go into one versus being forced into one. And and so some of those are very few are locked facilities and then others are more, you know, kind of open and different, but the goal is to make sure that a person is assessed, they're provided with the appropriate medication, food, support, recreational activities and and other things in order to hopefully get them to a place where they can live a better and more productive life but there is someone who is helping to make decisions as assessments happen and and they're required to comply with the decisions. And and let's just be honest, there are some people who are just sadly, unfortunately, a, a lot more violent and will require a locked facility. But the difference is with this conservatorship, it will give us the ability to, you know, do what we can to force people rather than to say, to someone, you can do whatever you want. Do you want this bed or not? And it's like, just imagine if you had dementia and you, you and it's like, no, I you don't, don't know where you are. Yeah. Yeah. But you're going to say, no, you're going right. to, no, you don't know what you're going to say. It's scary. You, you don't, don't yeah. know what you're saying. And to me, it's like, if this were you out on the streets, you know, and, and this is just a few examples you know, this older lady taking off all her clothes and walks around with a blanket, just dragging it. And people are like, why aren't we doing anything? Or a man who just the other day, you know, wouldn't move in front of the bus and a bunch of people were yelling at him to move. And it's like, he clearly was struggling and, and, and just didn't understand what was going on. 
And that required the street crisis response team, but it also requires us to be more patient. But how do we get those people off the streets and into a, a situation where they are being cared for, they'll be supported, and they're able to, in some cases, you know, get the appropriate medications and, and live a, a good life or be institutionalized, depending on what the level of care is, is necessary in order to help them. Right. Totally. And to sort of wrap things up, where can people find you and where can people get involved on this issue? Oh, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> right. How much time do we have for that one? You know, For me. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I think people can, I'm trying to think of what my stuff, you know, my social medias and stuff. I, I, I don't really, not a big fan of social media in order to protect my own mental health. But we, well, I do have social media pages. I have an email address, mayorlondonbreed at sfgov.org. Usually people reach out to us all the time about things that they want to get involved in. And we, we love it when San Franciscans in particular express interest in specific topics. We do a couple of things. Number one, we keep track of people based on the issue so that when we're advocating for a particular issue, we send it to that group to let them know what's going on and to give them, you know, just advice on how they can get actively engaged. The other thing we do is we put out a newsletter. And then finally, if you really have time to spare, we have a number of boards and commissions. We got the health commission, the police commission, the fire commission. So I make appointments to these commissions. And I love it when especially people who aren't really actively engaged want to get engaged in some capacity or another on these boards and commissions, because I started off as a redevelopment agency commissioner. I became a fire commissioner learning about the city, learning about these departments, and also contributing to the success of the city through these bodies where they make policy decisions and budget decisions for these specific departments. And th that's really, I think, one of the best ways to get very actively engaged in what's happening in the city. And, and also, you know, my favorite is being a part of your community, your neighborhood association. The neighborhood association are probably my second favorite thing about San Francisco. You know, even though I may not get along with all of the different neighborhood associations, I love that community comes together in this way, right? They come together because they love San Francisco, they love their neighborhoods, and they really are about trying to solve the challenges that exist in their community. And we've, we've, we've done some great things out of community organizations over the years that I'm really proud of. And so I, I, I love to tell people, get involved with your uh, neighborhood association or your merchant association because they really need strong voices and they need people who are consistent and want to be a part of making change in the community and the city. Love it. Love it so much. I'll definitely have to look into that neighborhood association and I will be ordering from New King Lee's. Uh, yes. <laughs> very, very, very soon. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It's an honor to have you and such a great conversation, but hopefully we can have you back, but thank you so much for coming on. Of course. Thank you. Good talking to you ladies. Likewise. You All right. Take care. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. 
To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.